0: Welcome into the Duck Territory podcast with Matt Prima and Eric Scoples across the way. Hey guys, it's been a while since we've done one. Uh, I apologize for that. Um, some of it's been with me. All right, well, in my recovery, and there's good reason that we haven't been doing it. And then other times we've just been, you know, tied up with the women's basketball team and spring football, and um, and the Oregon men's basketball season coming to an end and. Uh today we're we're going to talk about two of those things, two of those topics. Uh we'll we'll touch on spring football and we'll talk about, you know, the biggest differences through five spring practices from the Mario Cristobal era to comparing it to the Willie Taggart era. There's you know, there's been some noticeable differences for you and I which mm-hmm. just, you know, when we go yeah. uh we'll talk about who stood out, what stood out in the first five practices and then go into the biggest questions that we have. Uh, going into the final ten, which ultimately ends with the spring game on the twenty first. Um, but first, let's wrap up this Oregon men's basketball season, kind of put the finishing touches a little bit on the two thousand seventeen two thousand eighteen basketball season. The Ducks went twenty three and thirteen, ten and eight in conference. Uh, they made the NIT second round before bowing out uh, to Marquette in pretty ugly fashion. Yeah. Um, this was a, a season. I think there were a lot of firsts. Uh, Dana Altman's first five-star prospect uh, to enroll at Oregon and Troy Brown. Uh, and th- there was a lot of questions, a lot of expectations, a lot of hype, a lot of fair and not uh, fair expectations with his production. Uh, did he live up to the bill? Yeah. Uh, there was two grad transfers, and for the first time, it didn't really look like neither guy really found his consistent footing that we've seen in, from previous uh, grad transfers under Allman, and then you know this is a team that you know typically every year his teams get better and better as the years go on. Uh, this team, I think it's fair to say, Eric, they just didn't really get drastically better from November to March.
1: Yeah, and I think that was I think just a clear indication of that was the was the Pac-12 tournament yeah. because normally. I feel like you would have seen a team that and, and the numbers, you know, show it. I think coming in, he was like eleven and four or eleven and five, I think, in Pac twelve tournament games. I think they'd won two or three yeah. Pac-Twelve tournaments. And they've always just kind of found their footing there and, and, and usually that's come on the back of like a strong run through the month of February where they've, you know, lost maybe one or two games and been dominant. But that wasn't the case this year. They lost at Washington State right before that was pretty much dashed any opportunity for an at large NCLA tournament bid and then they go down to Vegas. And you kind of feel like, okay, here's – they know what's on the line. There's a lot going. And then they turn out back-to-back duds against Washington State and Utah. Somehow win both games, which was yeah. pretty miraculous. Somehow. It's Kenny Wooten. Kenny Wooten blocking shots at the end. Mikhail McIntosh scoring a couple baskets at the NH both games. But find a way to win those games. And then USC is just kind of what you'd seen on well, year it, where they just didn't have it. So, yeah, it was a, it was a weird season, um, I, I think. It didn't ever feel like everything meshed. It felt like there was never really an identity, you know. And when they started to find an identity, then all of a sudden it would change to another one that maybe wasn't what you wanted it to be. I mean, they, they played really good defense for a couple spurts down at the end of the of the regular season in the Pac-12, and then they turn around and and don't play very good defense in a couple other games that they lose. Um, a number of games that they lose kind of in the last minute or two against good teams like USC, UCLA, and Arizona. Um, just never really put it all together, and I think probably been. You know, I'm sure a frustrating season for Coach Altman, but if you look at kind of his success here, probably the biggest disappointment in terms of a season because historically they've been ranked at a certain place in the Pac-12 standings and then they've done better than that. This is probably the only, this is the only year that they've actually worse. worse. And I think they were picked to finish fourth and finished tied for sixth. So, um, yeah, I think a disappointing season that that's safe to say. And, And I think it's a season that leaves you with a lot of question marks, not just because the season itself was kind of a big question mark because there were so many things that didn't play out, but also because what's going to happen with Troy Brown? Who's going to fill into certain roles? Will guys transfer? And usually there certainly has been some turnover in every Altman season not related to graduation, and I think that'll be the case this season. But just a lot of things where you kind of go, if if this, this, and this play out, this team could be really good. But Mm -hmm. if this, this, and this play out, this team could be kind of in a similar place next season. Yeah,
0: I think... This year was a year of consistency of being inconsistent mm-hmm. because they could never really get over that initial push. You know, it, look, it would look like they were make, getting ready to make a big run, you know, rip off seven, eight, nine straight wins. Um, you know, they beat UCLA and then they beat Oregon State and then they beat Cal on the road, and they go at Stanford, and they, and they have the worst loss in Dana Altman, zero. Yeah. And then they come back, and uh, they just absolutely destroy Washington, the team that had, was coming off a win over Arizona, and then they destroy Washington State. Um, and you're feeling, okay, this team's figured it out. They're going to L.A., two very winnable games on the road. They lose uh, 72-70 at USC, on our last play basket <laughs> by Me Too. Mm-hmm. They go into overtime after having a chance to win it in regulation at UCLA and lose, and you're back to who is this team again? Are they do they have that ability to, to make the push? And you know, then they go and and they kind of take care of business against Arizona State. They beat Arizona, and they had you know, it, it's back again. They're they're here, they, and got, they have a shot, they, they've got that shot, they, they've figured things out again, and then they go like you said, they lost at Washington State, which basically eliminated any chance of an at large bid. Um, and then they they go to Washington, a very difficult place this season to play. and. You know, they kind of handle the Huskies, and then they rip off a couple more wins. And this is a season, I think, we really saw the importance of Casey Benson. Mm -hmm. While he wasn't on this team for Oregon, having that second ball defender, having uh, the second ball handler behind Peyton Pritchard um, really made a huge difference for that last few teams for Oregon, because... Benson wasn't necessarily the best. He wasn't the, the most skilled player. No. He wasn't even close to being the second most athletic player on the team. Sure. But he was a very good defender, especially on ball. And he was a very solid spot-up shooter from three. Uh, he could consistently hit the open three-pointer. And then on... He was kind of the glue offensively. You know, if things needed to settle down or, or, you know, if if they needed to give Peyton Pritchard a significant rest or if it just wasn't Pritchard's night, they could rely on Benson playing 25 minutes a game, 30 minutes a game and, you know, find a way to win. And this season, you know, I I think it was too late probably for them to find a respectable point guard once Benson decided to leave and they elected to, you know, handle, have those duties go to Troy Brown because he was kind of that, you know, point forward type of, five-star yep. prospect and, you know, they're bringing in Elijah Brown and, you know, they'll be able to, you know, here and there, fix the holes and, you know, plug them up with two guys instead of having one guy be that guy. And neither Elijah Brown or Troy, Troy Brown could really handle that responsibility. And I think it put a ton of pressure that, fair or not, was put placed onto Peyton Pritchard. And I don't think he, you know, people kind of forget – um People kind of forget that he was a freshman last season, mm-hmm. and he wasn't a freshman that was a top three player on the team. He was probably the fifth yeah. or sixth most important player on the Final Four team, and that's no slouch to him because Chris Boucher, Dylan Brooks, Tyler Dorsey are all in the NBA. Jordan, Bell. Jordan yeah, Jordan Bell, number four, <laughs> and, and then you got Dylan Ennis, who's number five, who's playing overseas, uh, and then Pritchard and Benson. You know, so. You, know, you you've got – he had a huge learning curve for himself as, as well. And they and all at the end of the year kind of said it where yeah. they put too, too much, much too much on him uh, to kind of carry this team and gel this team and, you know, ended up not being enough. Um, and I think at the same time, though, we kind of got a glimpse of what Peyton Pritchard could be like when he has a little bit more help. He doesn't have to do so many more things. He could be one of the Pac-12's best scorers. From a points per game perspective, not necessarily creating his own shot, but just average points per game in 2019 because he did so much this year and, you know, there's going to be more experience, there's yeah, going to be gonna more stick, help coming
1: in. I, I, yeah, I kind of wonder what it looks like if, let's say, Troy Brown sticks and let's say Brandon Williams, who's a five star recruit who actually I think Dane Altman's meeting with He met I, with, with last Tuesday, time. yes. Yeah. Um, and he, who's or, looking at Oregon, was an Arizona commit with the FBI stuff, is backed off. So yes. Say both those guys are on the roster next year. I wonder if Pritchard. Maybe he plays the point, but I wonder what he's like if he doesn't have, have to have the ball in his hand right. as much because he was forced to take on, probably, like you said, maybe a little bit of a square peg, round hole kind of role where he's probably better off, you know, spotting up in the corner, you know, attacking at the end of the shot clock, but not having to initiate the offense. And he didn't really have anyone on the team who was able to kind of Initiate the offense outside of him. And, and when it wasn't him, it was Troy Brown who he, he had moments where he looked good, but he also had moments where he was careless with the basketball. And Victor Bailey, who kind of similar thing, I and mean, he, he never looked fully comfortable. So I just wonder if, if Troy Brown comes back, he's able to fill that role. Brandon Williams is able to maybe be the full time point guard, and Pritchard's able to kind of slide over to the two. If that maybe is kind of where he fits in best. Not saying that he can't lead the team. I think he had some great games, but I do think he will be pivotal, pivotal to next year's success. And then you look at what else is going on, I and mean, there's a, a lot, there's a lot of things that could go on here that could make Oregon a Final Four team next year. Yeah. You know, that type of caliber team, I and mean, that's probably mm-hmm. putting the cart before the horse, but there's a lot of pieces coming into play, obviously the number two rated recruiting class with some five star recruits, obviously with the possibility of Troy Brown coming back, obviously with the possibility of all of these other things going on. What, what's your biggest question mark right now? going into the offseason? Like, what's the biggest thing you're looking at? I
0: think, the, you know, quite honestly, the biggest thing that Oregon has to wonder or worry is not the right word, but just the uncertainty mm-hmm. is Troy Brown. Mm-hmm. Because everything changes, I think, whether he, he comes back for his sophomore season or if he decides to go pro. Uh, and I am currently of the school of thought that if he gets a first-round grade, he should go. I agree. Um, and... Oregon fans should have no, you know, no ill will towards him at all if he decides to go pro because he he, he gets a first round assurance. It's whether you think he's ready or you or he'd I be, think he's ready or he'd not. Uh,
1: he'd be the first first round pick since I think Aaron Brooks, yes, from Oregon, which is a long, know, over, I, over a decade.
0: I looked at a mock draft today from the Athletic. Um, Sam Vincini, a guy that's widely respected, he still has Troy Brown inside the top twenty. Um, draft Express. Uh, is Jonathan Givney, the, the, the guy I, I personally think is you know the number one Woj Wazowski of right you know type level of, of mock drafts. He works for ESPN. He has an updated one a couple that came out last week mm-hmm. where Troy Brown's, I think the third to last pick in the first round, but still a first round draft pick. Um, I think a lot of uncertainty depends on him. Mm-hmm. If he leaves, there's, I think they're still a tournament team. I, I still think they're a team that, you know, can probably get to that second week of the NCAA tournament, get to the Sweet 16. They have the athletic pieces to make a deep run to the Final Four, like you said, with or without Troy Brown. Um, but it would depend in large part of how much does a guy like Victor Bailey improve mm-hmm. this season. Um, experience will that you know, this team had from this season of, you know, Victor Bailey, Abu Kijab, Peyton Pritchard, Kenny Wooten, Paul White, you know, how much will those guys soak up and be able to, you know, carry over to next season? And will it be enough to have, you know, Lou King, Bobo, Miles Norris, and, and Will Richardson, and whoever else they may add to just kind of be those small, you know, fill in the gap type guys that, uh, you know, a Peyton Pritchard was when they went to the final four last season? Um, if he comes back, you've got, you know, a sixth player with, with experience. I forgot Keith Smith was so seven. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you've, you've got, uh, a legit NBA athletic guy, um, adding back into the roster. I think Lou King, he will help with your perimeter shooting a little bit. Bull Bull certainly will help with your perimeter shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the biggest issue. Um, but, and then more so, the, the reason why Troy Brown coming back would be so big is it gives Dana Altman just a ton of versatility. Yeah. Uh, and they, yeah. And I think they would lose a, a, a big chunk of that because while people didn't think, you know, while, while Troy Brown didn't put up 15, 18 points a game as a true freshman, I don't think people really realize the impact he had defensively yeah. uh, on this team because he could guard on the perimeter and he could guard a team's point guard or you could put him down on the power forward, you know, that he would face and guard there or he was the team's best rebounder this season. You know, so I think his. His status could change a lot of uh, versatility and makeup of next year's team.
1: I guess my biggest question mark is kind of what do they do inside? I know Bobo comes in three, but he's going to change the rim. Kenny Wooten's going to change the rim defensively. But I I, I still look at them and kind of go, who's going to be the guy that's going to eat up the glass? If if Troy Brown returns, he fills that role a little bit. But Mikhail McIntosh, I think, was really under the radar for much of the season and obviously kind of came to the forefront in the last third of the year. Yeah, he he figured it out. He was probably the team's best player. From the month of February on, I mean, he put up some huge numbers and was very consistent offensively and then also on the glass. And my question is, what did they do about filling in him? Because I, I, I don't think an Oregon fans should be concerned about rim protection, but they no. got Bull and Kenny Wooten back there. That you could forgetting be, not even naming Miles Norris. Not even either. naming Miles Norris. They could be, that could be a team that could lead the country in shot blocks. Yes. You know, or, or at least be, you know, the premier shot blocking team in the Pac 12 once again, which they, I think they were third this year, but. I'm just wondering who's gonna be, who's gonna be the guy that when Reed Travis is up there trying to grab every rebound, who's the guy who's gonna be physical with him? Is it the guy that go out and get in the recruiting class? Does Kenny Wooten put on some weight and kind of fill out that role? Does he kind of figure out that? Cause he wasn't a great rebounder for his size. I and mean, he went out and had some good rebounding games, but there were games where you know, he was too, so focused on blocking a shot that he got out of rebounding position and the other guy, yeah. you know, for Stanford or whatever, came over with a tip dunk. You know, if he, is he able to fill that role? If it's not him, is it Luke King, who's another five-star recruit? Does he come in and play that power forward role? Is he physical enough to do that? I, I just think that's where I have concerns at. And I guess the point guard thing, I think they're going to have somebody on the roster as long as Peyton Pritchard's here who's capable. The perimeter shooting thing, I think will probably be a little better next year than this year just because I think people will take steps, and, and Bull Bull will be a good three-point shooter, and Luke King can shoot the three. But I'm just concerned about who's that guy who, when you need to go grab a rebound, who's that guy going to be on the team next year with Macintosh? now? I think it
0: goes not just who's going to be the guy that, that guards the interior right. defensively, yeah. but who's the guy that on the other end can be that low-post option? Because like you mentioned, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. we were waiting for that for Macintosh all year because yeah. we, we felt like he could— be that type of a guy. And then maybe the last six, seven regular season game not maybe the last six or seven games they played overall, it was kind of like, oh, yeah, McIntosh is really strong, really big. Let's just play bully ball with him mm-hmm. because no one really can stop him. Um, and that's when he had some of his best games. But you look at the, the Final Four team, and Dylan Brooks was a total mismatch nightmare because he could go out on the perimeter and do what he did. But – His best tribute to Oregon's offense, I think, in his three years at Oregon, was the ability to put him down on the block. And whether it's against a smaller guard or even against a bigger forward, he could either out-muscle or just out quick and get good footwork and post moves uh, to to get that low post scoring option. And you're going to win championships because you have threats on the outside that spread the floor, and then you've got a guy in the middle that can, you know, whether it's a, a small forward or a center, traditional center, Could score with his back to the basket, and then I think it was tremendous uh, boost for Oregon that year as well because Jordan Bell kind of had a A little back to the he had a little back to the basket game, and he you know Oregon didn't have that guy this season. And like you said, maybe Kenny Wooten can kind of put on some muscle, and that becomes the next step in his evolution. Um, But I don't think Bull Bull is going to be that guy. He's going to be like Chris Boucher, Mm -hmm. and same thing with Miles Norris, where on offense at least. They're going to be on the perimeter. They're perimeter-oriented big guys. They're stretch four-type guys. Um, they can certainly score down low, but they're at their best facing the hoop. Not.
1: The I, back I'm of the already guys. foreseeing a situation where where Bull Bulls hang out in the perimeter, and we asked Altman about that, and he's like, <laughs> he's not, he's, he's seven foot three. No one's even like a foot within a foot of him. Just throw it down and can dunk it, and he's frustrated about that. But yeah, I think physicality-wise, I 100% agree with with that offensive part. Yeah. And then
0: you know the, the other question I have is well you know we're not. Hearing of any names at this point, you know, but every single year under Dan Alman, a player is transferred out. Okay. And it's not just at Oregon. You look across the country and transfers happen everywhere. There was over 800 transfers last season in nice. college basketball. Um, and they're on track nice. to exceed that number this season. Um, if you, if you follow the college basketball transfer market on Twitter, um, there's people out there that track that stuff and it's projecting to be higher than it was last year. So you know, history says, someone will go for more playing time somewhere else. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe that's Troy Brown coming back and that forces a, a, a guard or a wing on this team who looks at the roster and says, wow, Luke King's coming in, Troy Brown's coming back. You know, I, I want to play more. Um, maybe they look somewhere else or maybe a forward on this team decides, who knows? But history says someone's going to leave. And does that happen or do we kind of get the anomaly and everyone comes back next season to play uh, for Oregon basketball? Um, where does this team need to go out and get someone? You think because they are looking. Mm-hmm. You know they've got at least one scholarship still to use. Troy Brown goes pro. They've got two scholarships, and if a, if a transfer happens and, and Troy Brown does go pro as well, yeah. you know it could grow the three or four. Um, they are looking. We know that they've got a couple guys in mind, but what do you feel like this team needs to add? To get back to the tournament to
1: make a deeper run. We should we should promote the site and said that you did establish some decent names on the whispers in the woods, which is a yeah. VIP thing. So we're not going to give that to you for free. So go subscribe and read that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, I, I and I think I touched on it a little bit. I, I still think, you know, you watched, you know, I watched Duke and and Kansas play in the, in the Elite Eight the other day, and and I was they had each team had three or four guys that were six nine to six eleven that weighed two twenty to two forty. Yeah. Oregon had none no one on this year's roster that really fit those measurables. Kind of the only guy that you could say, and, and once again, he'd be the only guy with that body type on next year's team. I'm not diminishing what, well, Bull, Bull is, cause another team had a seven foot three guy who could shoot threes either, but, Lock shots. but I, I think go out and find a guy who's six eight to six eleven, who's 230, 240, who can out muscle people on the paint, because I do, I really think that was something that was missing for the most part this year. Macintosh, of course, had that build, but he's a little shorter, but go get a guy who's a six ten, 240 enforcer type body type. I think that fits in. Really well with kind of their holes. I'm not really.
0: I wouldn't really back myself into a corner and, and say it's a guy that needs to be six nine or taller or right. six ten or taller. I think it's more of the physicality aspect sure. of it. Um, you know, Elgin Cook was that way, mm-hmm. and he was he was only six six. Um, Dwayne Benjamin, not necessarily a banger, but he was a guy that could definitely play physical and, and match up, and you know, because he was so long. Uh, but then obviously Dylan Brooks, Jordan Bell. Um, even Cavell Bigby Williams last year uh, was that type of a, of a player, and I I agree they they need to find somebody um, that can be that enforcer type defensive player. Yeah, that's the right word. Um, and then for me though, it, it, it's shooting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think that was the biggest as as much of a issue their, their size was this season. You know, they've had teams smaller than this 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 year's yeah. team. That have more success, and
1: it's because... That Joseph Young, Jordan Bell team right. freshman year with those guys was really small.
0: And the reason they could do it was because, A, they played really good team defense. They had great length. They didn't have the height, but they had great length. And then on the offensive side of the ball, uh, they had shooting. And this year's team had one guy you could count consistently on to make a three-pointer, and it was Peyton Pritchard. Uh, Elijah Brown, some days, was the best shooter in the country uh hitting seven three pointers in one game, I think. Uh and then other times he would go one of nine from three. Um and the shot selection would be terrible. Um uh, and then outside of that, outside of Elijah and and then Peyton, they really didn't have anybody else that on a night in night basis you could say he's gonna get us two three pointers or he's gonna he's gonna stretch a defense out. And that's you know what hurt guys like Abu Kijab, Troy Brown, Victor Bailey Jr., Mikhail McIntosh McIntosh completely changed his game from the start of the season to, yeah. to the end to be able to, to accommodate what the team needed. Uh, but, you know, Troy Brown's a guy that's a, a, a slasher, an attacker. Same with Victor Bailey, same thing with Abu Kijak. Guys who, they need to be on the move, getting, going to the hoop, driving to the hoop in one-on-one situations, using their athleticism to their advantage. Uh, and they just couldn't do that because teams could pack the paint and you know, play a two-three zone, and it's basically impossible to drive into the lane when you've got five guys one step away from from the key. So, you know, I I think this is a group. They need to find a, a shooter, um, and then, like you said, uh, finding a defensive enforcer. I think they're gonna I think they're gonna find two guys. In this class, whether it's Troy Brown leaving or someone transfers out, I, I think they end up with adding two more guys to this recruiting class,
1: and that's probably including Brandon Williams, perhaps too.
0: Yeah, I, I would include Brandon Williams as a shooter. I, I think he does. Okay, I think he can help. Um, it was explained to me uh, by some people I trust. You know, Brandon Williams is Aaron Holiday two uh, point Aaron, Aaron Holiday from UCLA, guy that you know almost pushed his way into Player of the Year uh, in the Pac twelve this season.
1: Would have been if it wasn't for DeAndre
0: Ayton. Yeah, it would have, it yeah. certainly would have been if it yeah. wasn't for Aiden. but Aiden really tried his, you know, uh, Holiday tried his best to get, to get that award and was a guy that carried the Bruins to the tournament. So, you know, if, obviously if, if Brandon Williams can do what did, what Aaron Holiday did as a freshman at UCLA a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. Oregon would take that in a heartbeat because yeah. he averaged double digits in, in points. I think he shot a good percentage from three and he, he averaged more than a couple assists a game as well. So, uh, Shooting, ball handler, enforcer type guys. Boom. Boom. Nailed it. We Nailed could have done it. that in
1: 30 seconds, but it <laughs> took us 20,
0: 20 minutes instead. Um, real quick, before we finish this year, this fastball top up and get to get to football. Yeah. Um, where do you see Oregon right now, current construction? Let's just say Troy Brown comes back. They don't add anybody else. They don't they lose. Have
1: the, they have the recruiting class. They don't lose anybody. They don't lose okay.
0: anybody else. Uh, is this team a top ten team and they're a bonafide fide Final Four group contender, or do you need more to, to see from this team?
1: I still think they need more because I, I think I think we I, I think we did a pretty good job of establishing what they don't have because what they would bring in this year. Obviously, they bring in some some completely different pieces. They've never had a player like Bulbul on the roster. They probably haven't had many players like Luke King on the roster. We barely talked about Rudy Irving, but he'll play. He'll play a role too. I, I, stu- I just still think they need someone who can consistently hit a three, and they still need somebody who can.
0: I, I think fans are going to get a kind of a rude awakening, um, on Monday night, Tuesday morning, Wednesday when the 2018-19 way too early top 25 start coming out. Yeah.
1: because um, Oregon fans are going to think based upon what you're talking about, yeah. number two rated recruiting class, a coming back. Oh, this is a top 12 team. This is a top five team. Yeah. Um. I
0: think they're gonna. I think Oregon's gonna be somewhere in, in the twenties. Yeah, I think, uh, so too. I think they'll be very lucky if they crack the top fifteen. Um, I just don't. I, at a knocking in the tournament hurts because mm-hmm. look, just because you bring everybody back doesn't mean you're gonna be really good because you know we've said that of other teams. Arizona, Oregon
1: State's a great example. They brought everything back and they weren't very good this
0: year. Washington, the last two seasons, everyone said, "Oh, look at the talent. They bring everybody back," but. You know, they've obviously lost key pieces and, and brought in or didn't lose any key pieces and, you know, they still haven't made the NSA tournament and they've had virtually the same roster three years now. Yeah. Um, one of which includes the number one pick in the NBA draft. So, you know, just because you have experience, it doesn't mean anything. If it's bad experience, what's good? You know, not saying Oregon's bad, but they didn't make the tournament this year. Um, you know, so I, I think getting ranked is an accomplishment in, in these things, but I would temper your expectations that this is gonna be a top five, top ten team. I was gonna
1: say I wouldn't be surprised to see somebody omit Oregon from the top twenty five yeah. together just because Oregon was, you know, probably the what the best team this year yep. and you go, Oh, they added some good players, but they also lost Elijah Brown, and Michael Mac- Kyle McIntosh who are who are probably what two of their top four scorers. So yeah, sure. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see people just have them in the the the, the other the others not listed type of ranking.
0: Alright, shifting over to football, um Spring football is kind of on like a mini vacation. Yeah. They had five spring practices in the month of March. Earliest I can remember Oregon having spring football ever Yeah, um, under Mario Cristobal. And then they, they've taken about a two-and-a-half-week break. They return, I think, April 3rd? Mm-hmm. Tuesday. Tuesday is the, is the date they come back. Um, and then they'll have ten practices, which includes the final practice being the spring game on the 21st. Um Oregon football is going to crank up the recruiting run because April's an evaluation period. Guys will be coming in uh for unofficial visits as well. They've had they've had a couple already trickle mm-hmm. in, but I expect the next 10 to be just loaded with pros- you know, with prospects. Not maybe every day, but you know every week there'll be a, you know there'll be a big couple names on and we'll campus. have updates on yes. yes. Uh but overall we've had, we've had five practices. We've been in we've been in five practices and to me there's some noticeable differences from even though you know, most of the staff is still here from last year, there's some big changes from crystal ball spring ball compared to last year on the blue really tiger.
1: Yeah, and, there's, and you'll, I'm sure you'll touch on a lot of similar things. But I think two things that stood out to me was just how kind of both how involved the new strength coaches have been in practice and like running through the warm ups, but also just. How complimentary the players have been of Coach Feld, and kind of the bigger role he's taken on. I mean, he was he was available for interviews yes. before any of the other new additions for Carolina, yes. which I thought was kind of kind of a wild deal. Well, actually, they just sent out the um, the list, and we'll start being able to talk to some of the new assistant coaches over the next couple of weeks. But um, but yeah, he he is certainly feels like he's at a a, big, a more involved role than previous strength coaches, whether that be. Um, I really at end day last year or, you know, obviously for years before that. And then secondly, I, I just see these guys as being much more involved. I shouldn't say much more involved, but they, their teaching seems to be yeah. a huge focal point. I'm not saying it wasn't before because that sounds like a slight to the old staff. But in the past, we've seen loud music blaring, go, 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 speed. It seems like they're taking more time now. The music comes down for certain portions. They pull guys aside. They walk through what they did wrong, what they need to do better. And it just seems like there's more of a... An onus being placed on, hey, it'll take a little time. Here, take a little time to develop these players, rather than just rush through, rush through, rush through. And I'm sure we'll probably see that frequent kind of breakneck pace pick up again and um, the fall. But right now, it does seem like they're being a little bit more patient in terms of how they yeah. approach these things. I mean, we should
0: say for for the Mario Cristobal era, the Taggart era, and then for bowl practices and the few practices that were open to, to the media under Helfrich or, or Chip Kelly, you know, we only got to see 30 minutes, an hour of practice for the most part. Um, but it's very, very clear. And this is something Cristobal came out and said uh, right when he got hired uh, and they were previewing spring ball was there's going to be a lot of teaching. There's going to be a lot of accountability, holding guys uh, accountable, doing things the correct way, doing the way that the staff wants it to be done. And we've seen that. Um, it's it's very clear they cut the music off entirely mm-hmm. um you're not fighting over another you know voice to, to be heard uh you and I have both reported on duck territory when we have seen stuff happen where you know Jim Master the running back coach completely stops a drill yep. because two players back to back sequences have not done the drill the, the, the correct way and he doesn't go about them you know berating them and, and, and Talking down to them and yelling at them in a negative way, but you know, more of just teaching, explaining why this needs to be done this certain way and then explaining how that impacts things in the football scheme of, of, of a game and why, what, you know, why is it important? You know, running backs have to have their pad level up at X height because of, during this drill, because of how it translates into a football game. Mm-hmm. Um, we've heard from players, I think another one is, the strength program, like you said, these guys are heavily involved uh, as, as much as the NCAA will allow them to be involved. Um, but more so the, the fourth quarter program that they've established, which is a, a training regimen that they've got um, that Crystal Ball brought with him over from Alabama. Um, a lot of the players have told us that instead of just simply just getting as big as possible uh, under previous staffs, they're actually doing stuff that's football functional. Mm-hmm. You know, Brady Breeze mentioned. You know, they are working on you know weight training. You know, ways to, to, to improve your strength and doing it in football stances. So when you get to a football practice, it doesn't feel unnatural anymore. It, it's a natural movement. You're not sore, and you quickly you know can just get past that soreness aspect of doing something new, and you don't have that anymore. You know, so I think that's been a huge huge improvement. I I won't be surprised to see you know, this team be more fundamentally sound next season under Mario
1: Cristobal. Here's, here's just one last thing that just dawned on me, which I think is sort of noteworthy, and we have mentioned this, I think, before, but that Mario Cristobal, with Billy Taggart, he kind of bounced between position yeah. groups, you know, jumped between offense to defense, linebackers to safeties. To I don't think to
0: those really heavily involved either.
1: yeah. Mario Cristobal like straight up is running the offensive line drills like during w- during those individual periods like he is he is very involved and he from what I've seen hasn't really drifted over to talk to the defensive yeah. these strength position drills. he's not drifting around like Tiger was just hopping around you know jumping in throwing the cold passes here oh, we am going to hand off some balls over here Tech, Cristobal it seems like he's very focused on the offensive line I mean we, knew, we kind of figured that would be what he would do I mean he kind of even said I'm going to coach the offensive line right. it's still my baby and and he's followed through with that and I think that is. Something that'll be interesting to see if that continues throughout fall. I mean, is that going to, is, is he going to continue to be kind of micro focused on his guys or will he kind of take up what Taggart and a lot of other coaches do and kind of bounce around and kind of have an eagle eye on everything? But I think that's worth note, you know, worth noting. And I think among the offensive line, especially that's something that they've really appreciated from the guys.
0: Going forward into the 15, into the final 10 spring practices, obviously this is a spring game and, you know, there'll be a lot to, to wonder about that one. But, um, I'm curious to see, the linebackers for me. Mm-hmm. This is going to be a critical group because they've got Troy Dye, who's going to be an All-American candidate. They've got Lamar Winston, who came on strong the second half of the season Played last really well. year. He's looked
1: great in the spring.
0: Um, and then Justin Hollins is another guy that everyone's just gushed about. Uh, he's a senior. Those three guys have kind of entrenched themselves oh, yeah. as the three best linebackers on this team. You know, Troy Dye is probably the best defensive player, maybe the best player overall on this football team. Uh, I, I would probably put Hollins and, and Winston probably in the top ten or, or fifteen of just overall best players mm-hmm. on this team. Um, yeah. But who fill the fourth spot? Yeah. Who backs these guys up mm-hmm. uh, is going to be the question, and you know, that's kind of I think should be their focus: is developing this depth because they're going to need it, and there's not a lot of proven depth behind the three, and that could you know, be very critical for Oregon. Uh, in the second half of the season when injuries start piling up and guys aren't playing healthy and really no one's healthy.
1: Yeah, and it's, you know, I think there are good, there's a lot to think about with basically every position group besides quarterback. You know, I mean, they're running back, you got seven guys out there, you don't have a guy guaranteed. Wide receiver, you don't have really an alpha dog, maybe Dylan Mitchell's that guy. Tight end. Brewington's been out. Offensive line, Hankson's been out, so there's people moving around. Defensive line, they don't have a lot of depth. They have three really good defensive linemen that are kind of set to start, probably. In the secondary, at corner, you've got four scholarship corners right Right. now. That's not a lot of players on campus. And safety to me is probably the most interesting one, because Ugo Amadi is kind of locked into that starting role, but who's going to start next to him? Cause there's, there's like a handful of guys that could be, it could be Brady Breeze. It could be Nick Pickett. It could be Matron McGraw. It could be Steve Stevens, the true freshman, or even Javon Holland when he comes in the fall. It could be Billy Gibson, probably not as much, but there's a lot of names that are out there right now that, that are fighting for that spot. And that's kind of the one I'll probably be focusing in on a lot because that's going to be a pretty key responsibility because that's the job that, you know, Tyree Robinson had had for so many years. Um, they've had a lot of good safeties at Oregon, but I, I just don't know who that other guy necessarily is going to be. And if Someone wins that job this year, all these guys are pretty young. That could be a job that they hold down for a couple of years.
0: And then, you know, offensively, for me, it's, it's pretty obvious. For, mm-hmm. Or just, I would just say, skill position yeah. in general. I feel like quarterback's fine as long as Herbert's healthy. Mm-hmm. Offensive line's clearly mm-hmm. going to be fine. Yeah. Uh, but the skill guys, that's going to be the biggest question. You know, can a receiver emerge as a go to player? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, opposite Dylan Mitchell, you know, I, I think Mitchell's kind of. I think it's safe to say he can be that the, the number one or at least a really good number two. Um, but is there a guy that can become the number one? if Mitchell can't. Is there a guy that can become the number two to Dylan Mitchell? And we're going to have two legitimate Pac-12 receiver threats on on each side of the football, and teams can't just island out one guy and and then bracket another. So offensively,
1: I'm not as concerned as the defense, but the one that would, for me, would be just receiver. Yeah, and I I, I touched on running back a second ago. You got seven guys in camp. Tony Brooks James is kind of the only one with a ton of experience. Taj Griffin also has a bunch, but it's been to a couple of different spots. And then you have a bunch of sophomores and redshirt and true freshmen. So that that'll be one to kind of, the hierarchy. It's going to be interesting because I think we know full well Tony Brooks James isn't going to carry the ball 300 times right. in the season. You know, And that's not realistic for him, just given his body type and kind of his frequency with injury. He could, but it wouldn't be good for team It wouldn't be season. good for the team. Or him. They, they, they need to find probably two other guys that are capable of carrying it 10, 12 times out of those other five names or six names.
0: That's going to do it for us here on the podcast. Uh, we'll get back to doing these uh, every week or every other week or so. Um, certainly as football is still going on, there's still lots to talk about. Recruiting heating up uh, visits are, are happening soon. And then, you know, like we said for earlier for basketball, you know, spring signing periods coming around the corner. Ducks are, we're going to expect them to sign a couple guys as well. So lots to, lots to pay attention to, uh, if you're looking to subscribe right now, there's a great promo one cent for your first month on DuckTerritory.com. Uh, really difficult to beat that price. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> we free is the only one that's better.
0: <laughs> yes. Uh, so if you're, if you're uncertain about it, go sign up right now. It costs just one cent for your first month. Uh, and until we do this again, uh, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.